Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a film or a record they go back to again and again for comfort. This time I'm talking to the actor and writer Ben Wilbond. Ben will be familiar to a couple of generations of telly watchers from his work with Horrible Histories and then Yonderland. Most recently he's been in the hit series Ghosts, which he writes with the team and also appears as the character The Captain. Ben has chosen as his comfort blanket... John Le Carre's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in any medium in which it can be delivered. I've got a story to tell you. It's all about spies. And if it's true, which I think it is, you boys are going to need a whole new organisation. Right? So you're bringing the sealed and complicated world of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh my goodness! Yes. Does this mean a lot to you? Is this, is this your your safe place? Um, this your is safe my, house. This is my. <laughs> <laughs> this is my safe house. No, it's. Um, I chose it because I was thinking about this on the way over. It 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 is a comfort blanket for me. It's not one that you'd expect. You'd expect me to come with a sort of maybe a, a comedy film or a sitcom yeah. or something. But I chose it because. It's the one thing I go back to a lot, and we'll—I'm sure—we'll unwrap all that as we, as we discuss. <laughs> there will be reasons. Yes, I remember discovering it when I first discovered it, and I think I had recently sort of dug into the history of Kim Philby, right? And I realised that, of course, uh, Le Carre was—I suppose—taking that story, that that shocking story of Kim Philby, who'd spent years at the heart of British intelligence throughout the war and early days of the Cold War, and pulled the guts out of the networks that had, that had yeah. been built up across Europe and beyond. Because Le Carre um, was right in the middle of that. He certainly, he'd certainly been recruited and was working for them. Uh, I don't know exactly the crossover, I'm sure somebody will write in. But um, <laughs> I don't know the dates, but yeah, I mean, he obviously uh, would have been there when Philby defected. It is such an extraordinary story about the end of that affair and the Cambridge Five 
being exposed and how they pieced it all together and realised what an absolute awful situation they were in and what an absolute masterstroke the Soviets had pulled off. It's an incredible spy story. Do you have any other reason for keeping silent, Mr Philbin? I have. The efficiency of our security services can only be impaired if their organisations and techniques are discussed in public. And I think so. I think um, Cornwall had, you know, he'd been around for that. He'd For listeners who don't know, David, David Cornwall David is the Cornwall, real yes. name. Is the real, I, real I love name. that John le Carre's got a code name. Yeah. It's not, yes. it's not his real, like all spies, that's well, not his should, real yeah, name. It, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, You've blown his cover. That took no time at all. <laughs> Um, David Cornwall, who was in MI6 yes. in the 60s, so yes, basically would yes, have been yes. right up against these people. This has yes. been done from observation, and he's he's fictionalised a thing that's really, really happened. And he's, yes. he's dealt with the thing, which is a healthy thing to do, yeah. a, a really shocking thing that sort yeah. of shakes the country by saying his thrilling fiction based on something yeah, and frightening. I, and I think, you know, it wasn't his first novel. And in fact, when his bosses at um, SIS as it's known, they discovered that he was published. Yeah. <laughs> they went, hey, we need to have a chat. That's David. not what we uh, do. <laughs> um, this and is so worse he... than when Bond had that parachute <laughs> with the country's flag on it. Terrible cover. So I think, um, yeah, he got to he got to this stage where he, he thought, no, actually, I'm a, I'm a novelist, not a spy. Yeah. But by then, he, well, he knew the ins and outs and he knew the world. His initial works were superb because they're sort of based on his very very close to his experience and then yeah. as as you know as the, the further away he gets from the secret world of course he's got you know in, incredible contacts and some of the later works i just think are extraordinary too but, but is there um, a sense that he's uh, certainly been reading criticism of this is that he's built this world which is based very very closely to the extent of like it's he's he's right inside sis and he knows this stuff so the first books will be based on real events and real people and the real feeling yeah. of being right close to it yeah to the extent that this book is based on a real spy ring, it's who, yeah, from, it's, who from the five is 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 going to be revealed to be the, exactly, the mole. Exactly. Um, but then also he's invented the language. He invents the word mole and he invents <clears throat> the, yeah. the circus. So that as the series goes on, mm. it's increasingly set inside a world he's built rather than a world he lived in. Yeah, it's, that's that's really interesting. And I, I know from a lot of reading and talking to various people who may or may not have worked for a certain government department, um, <laughs> his vocabulary, his his world construction, the word tradecraft, for example, yeah. which when you think about it, you go, what does that mean? What does that mean, tradecraft? But it has become common parlance. Le Carre's yeah. invention... They pick it up and start using it. ...is now uh, modern spies will use the term tradecraft. But you forget to, that happens, that when someone <clears throat> creates sort of a vivid world... Yeah. And it used to happen with, like, sort of, <laughs> they said that policemen drove worse after the Sweeney had come out. It's like, so they start, <laughs> people start to sort of play their fictional... Yeah. Like, you realise that people who are in businesses, even really serious jobs, yeah. read heroic fiction and start copying them. And, and I'm reading the... There's, a, there's a, some nice glossaries you can uh, pick up online of Le Carre's language. Yeah. And a lot of it, he said, well, I made this all up. It sounds like the kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's the language of an institution that's been there for a long time sure. and has developed its own vocabulary. And you as a reader yeah. feel really flattered that you can, yes. you're eavesdropping on it, again, yes. like a spy. Yeah. And you're picking it up really quickly because he uses, the language he uses is really lovely because it's all based on other jobs. So there's like lamplighters yes, and yeah. sort of burrowers. So yeah. they're all very, very vivid terms. And then, yeah, apparently he invents scalp these hunters. terms. He's, he's, yeah. yeah, scalp hunters. He invents these <clears> words <throat> like mole. Yeah. Um, and then I think he thought mole was something the KGB said. And apparently 
it wasn't. Yeah, and, and now, and now it, is. it is become. <laughs> it gets picked up and it feeds back. The people who who sort of make the make reality happen are also fans of fiction. Yeah. Why shouldn't there be a mole in the circus? Now, look at them. I can tell I know who they are. Listen, Jim, we've got to have code names for them. Do you remember the nursery rhyme, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Sailor? Finish it. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. Percy Alanine, Director of Operations, Tinker. Bill Hayden, Head of Personnel, Taylor. Roy Bland, Head of Iron Curtain Networks, Soldier. We leave out Sailor, too much like Taylor could be misheard. Rich man. Don't like it. Sounds like police work, fraud, Swiss bank stuff. Toby Esterhazy, top lamplighter, our exquisite head sleuth. Poor man, yes. Poor man. And George Smiley, my devoted deputy, beggar man. Have you got it? I'll remember. Yes, there is an invention of a world, but that world for Cornwall, for Le Carre, was based in absolute reality. And that, and that reality was, during the war, that an intelligence service was created and it was manned, and that is the correct word, it was manned yes. by white men yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, from certain institutions, namely Cambridge and Oxford. And they had a vocabulary. They had a way of talking, which was public school and Oxbridge. And what I think the book does brilliantly and the uh, TV series is it really encapsulates that that time yes. and that and that and that sort of um and those particular people it's incredibly redolent it, 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 yeah it's 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 extraordinary you you when you really focus on that it feels to me like academics and public school yeah uh both 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 of which are institutions i i was at yeah so i kind of the the, the echoes of it particularly from that era from the 70s you can hear it it is like it's a club, yeah. and you're in the club. It does feel like that. There's a feeling of <clears throat> the elite being yeah. a club, and it's like clubbable. Yeah. They they go to clubs. They they meet yeah. at clubs. They're all a certain sort of gentlemen. They're playing a sort of game, oh, a complicated totally, yeah. game. Yeah, and you realise this has been going on for a long time. Because when you turn up, and you are, I mean, just to go to, you are eavesdropping like a spy. It's like you've sat down at a cafe yeah. table, yeah, yeah. And two guys in trench yeah. coats have sat down next to you, and they've started saying things that you can't quite understand, yeah, because they don't use normal vocabulary yeah but the privilege for you as an outsider is if you tune in yeah because lacari's invented a vocabulary that isn't complete code you yeah. can guess what they mean and then you get fascinated by trying to work out what they're saying mm. and then through that you can start to glimpse their world and it's like listening it's eavesdropping on two people in a cafe who are at work together mm. and i've got loads of work gossip to share absolutely i'd leave that coat on if i were you george we've got a long way to go well you're not me peter and before I go anywhere at all, I shall change out of my sopping shoes. And also, I think, make a pot of coffee. What's really interesting is that I think I'm right in saying, and again, Lucari experts will undoubtedly shoot me down for this, but he was an outsider. Right. I think he always felt like an outsider. Now, that's not, I don't think that's what we all feel from time to time, which is this sort of imposter syndrome where you think, I shouldn't be in this position. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not a real spy. I don't, hang on a minute. But, um, you know, I, I think Smiley, the character of Smiley, when he first appears in the fiction, Smiley is of that world, but he is also not of that world. He's not from the same stable, as it were. He's more of an academic. I've been reviewing my situation in the last half hour of hell. And I've come to a very grave decision. 
After a lifetime of living by my wits and on my memory, I shall give myself up full-time to the profession of forgetting. I'm going to put an end to some emotional attachments which have long outlived their purpose, namely the circus, this house, my whole past. And he doesn't quite fit in. And it's very clever the way when you join Smiley and Tinker Taylor, he's been ostracised. He's been kicked out. Yes, he's, he's been, been retired. He's, he's been pushed aside because he's it's not... Closed over, it's closed right. over. He's left and right. it's closed up behind him. Or did you never really chuck it in? Is that it, George? Has it all been cover? Cover, George? Roddy, I've retired. All right, George, if you say so. If he was working there and it's his day job, narratively, because a lot of people come, because the TV series was such a big hit, yeah. this is the first exposure that lots of people have to Le Carre. Yeah. He's not at work. He's coming into work and trying mm. to find out how work works yeah. or what the new system at work is. So he's learning alongside the viewer. And that makes him, um, Rufus Jones and I saying, why do you make any lead character not a detective? Because what, yeah. a, what an audience is doing is looking for clues. Sure. So if your lead character knows everything already, they won't do the job the audience of wants course, them to do. Of and what uh, Smiley's doing, he comes into this very complicated, very sealed world. Mm. And he's trying to find out what everyone's up to, what their dynamic yeah. is. Yeah. And so he will find out for you. And you yeah. follow him yeah. around and he's your eyes and ears. Absolutely. They put me in charge of scalp hunters. You are Jim Prido's successor. You, looking after the heavy. Why not? Tucked away at downtown Brixton, behind the broken glass and the barbed wire, dispatching the thugs occasionally, kept a good arm's length from the circus ringmasters. How is Jim, do you know? In quarantine. I don't mean to pry, I merely ask. I think it's just done very cleverly, him looking in on the, the new circus, the new sort of restructured circus that's occurred, but it's with the same people, it's the same class of people. And yeah. so Bland is a bit of a an outsider too, but he's... He's still in the club. There's he's that a bit, wonderful, he's a bit coarse. There's he's that a bit wonderful sort of... line where they, they refer to him as a red brick. It's Roy Bland, the shop-soiled white hope. The first red brick don to make the circus. Yes. And what he means by red brick <laughs> is he went to a particular Oxford college that isn't Which, quite <laughs> considered yeah. as high as, as a, a, You featherhead, Martindale, you pompous, bogus, gossiping old featherhead. Roy Bland is not red brick. He was at St Anthony's College, Oxford. Now, don't be silly, dear. Of course St Anthony is red brick. It doesn't make the slightest difference there's a bit of sandstone in the same street. Just because he was your protégé. I suppose he's Bill Hayden's boy now. Well, Bill was father to them all, wasn't he? Or something like that. But that tells you everything you need to know about Le Carre's observing that world and how it works. There is someone in the cabinet during Johnson and Cameron mm. who was referred to as the oik. Because right, he went to Winchester go. rather than Eton. So, so it's the a same, complete understanding the same of, sort of club. Yeah, the, the only thing, if you'd gone to grammar school, you'd be completely beyond the yeah. pale, and there's no yeah. one from comprehensives anywhere near the building apart from cleaners. Mm -hmm. And it's that thing, it's a sealed world, and they've got their own pecking yeah. orders. And a thing that always confuses me when I'm talking to people from Oxbridge is they know, I, I go, my brain hears that as Oxbridge. It's one yeah. big university, and they're yeah, on yeah. the University Challenge all the time. But everyone who went knows all the pecking orders of which college has got clever people at sure, it. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Katie Brown said, I can't believe Liz Truss is so bad. She went to one of the clever colleges. <laughs> and I went, what, there are clever ones? I thought yeah. the deal was they were all clever. And she went, no, 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 there's some where you have to actually do the work. There was, <laughs> was, it was, there was That was kind of interesting. I did a, a talk back in Oxford, and I was at, St. Catharines and it is very much the modern college. <laughs> yeah. 
And when I mentioned it to some of the students, they said, so, so what, um, what college were you at? And when I was at St. Catharines, they immediately went on the defense and went, oh, no, I'd, I've got loads of mates there. I think that's a really cool. It's like, <laughs> I'm, you know that I'm, I haven't been there for years and also I'm not bothered. And also, why are you being defensive about it? It's, well, really it's that thing where, where the easiest way to be ostracized is within a group. Yeah. Rather than outside. There are people outside your tribe yeah. who have no interest in, but within mm. the tribe, the tiny sort of inter-Nisine differences Absolutely, become yeah. really, really important. Yeah. And it's every, everything is the Judean people's front and the people's front of Judea. Everything <laughs> okay, Absolutely. And so, yeah, the tiny differences, you judge people within their class, judge people who are almost exactly the same class yeah. as them for their knives and forks and crockery yeah, yeah. and cutlery and table manners, far more savage but, than they're doing. But you see else. where it comes from, of course, is, you know, the public school system of houses and, and, yes. and tribes and these little tribes that sort of built up. And, you know, Oxbridge, you know, has been like that for years and years and years and years and years and so it'll take a long time for that to equalize if it ever does it's no, like maybe it's, it's inherent it's, you in know, the maybe it's inherent uh you know there's a monorail from uh, uh underground monorail from oxford to cambridge that only a few people know i'm joking i'm sure absolutely that there is but that also talks to his solar carries what i what i'm fascinated by i guess and comes out in the tv show and comes out wholesale in his writing is his observance of class and what yeah. it means to that wartime generation yeah. where that sort of exploded, for want of a better expression. It collapsed more so, I think, than the First World War because you had all these different classes rubbing up against each other. They had to figure it out. They had to, yeah, yeah. They had to sort of solve the problem. Yet, you have to be in the club. You have to be of that right sort. Now, at the beginning of Tinker Taylor, Smiley's out. Obviously, we know because Control, as you know, at the beginning, did a very good job of going... He's gone nuts. He's control paranoid. Is, control is the boss of the circus, right? Uh, which is SIS. Yeah, the circus, which is called the circus because it's in Cambridge Circus. I was really excited to find yeah. it out. The opening <laughs> shot is you can see it's lovely, isn't it? It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Right. You, and there appear uh, to be and I, there's I, no I, traffic. But if anyone knows Cambridge Circus mm. in London, which is where Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is currently on, where Les Miserables was for ages, yeah. they appear to be on that site where no one can make a restaurant work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's exactly. And I think that's why you uh, can't get a restaurant to work there because it's full of spies. Because it was uh, <laughs> the home of SIS. Yeah. Um, so control, no, totally is, control is the um, boss of this fictitious yeah. version of MI6 or whatever that's in the circus. There's a lovely feeling of, of just that beautiful word, control, as mm. they've lost control. Absolutely. What's yeah. happened to Britain yeah. is they've lost control. Yeah. And it's all about what do you do? And I, I hadn't occurred to me until this afternoon thinking about this that, that if this is, I didn't realize quite how close it was written to the Cambridge Spy Ring. Mm. And the idea being that, well, hang on, if we can't trust the decent people from the decent schools, mm. if they're going to turn up to be beastly traitors, yeah. then the foundations of our yeah, entire yeah. empire, our entire way of thinking that people of a certain class be trusted completely. Mm. And there's the foundations in the 60s have been shaken of that by things like it turning out that working class people can act and mm. write and mm. do science. Mm. It's a lovely bit in uh, John Higgs's new book on, on the Beatles, uh, where he just talks about it's about Beatles and Bond and the myth mm. of the British class. Yeah. And he says that the moment the Beatles come out, a writer said that his teacher at a posh public school said, well, it's obvious what's happening with these Beatles, because these songs are very sophisticated. They've obviously got some very clever people who've been to Cambridge <laughs> to write the songs for them. Well, of course. Because it was unthinkable. Yeah. And once you've had those foundations shaken, that people who've been to the right schools and <clears> come from the right class yeah. are completely trustworthy, yeah. then what's happening is you are losing control. Yeah. And you cannot trust anybody. Yeah. And all that lovely dialogue, certainly the first episode, mm. beautiful setting up at the beginning of we can trust this person because they've been to the right college. Yeah. That the limits of their levels of trust are a tiny circle of people mm. can be trusted to run everything. Yeah. Charlotte got her scholarship to Rodin, which was nice. Oh, very good. Mm. And what happens if it turns out that some of us are working for foreigners? Yeah. 
I think the Philby and the Cambridge Five scandal was was so shocking to the establishment at the time that I think Le Carre wanted he wanted to sort of dig into that, and you really get this sense of just how earth shattering it would have been yeah. because we were fighting a cold war, and it just relied on intelligence gathering. It relied on agents. Yeah. These are the new soldiers. Exactly. These are the front line soldiers. Exactly. And in fact, I think in the film... The uh, Alfredson film from 2011, that one. Yeah, the exactly. Gary Oldman. I think smiling. they even say that. I think they even... Kieran Hines, he says to Lakin, we, we are the front line. You can't... You yeah. literally will give money to these people over here and nuclear missiles, but you've got to give money to us because we will fight and win this war. I think Lakin comes back and says, not if there's a spy yeah, at yeah. the heart of it, because that will be... That would be the worst possible thing. It's a chink in your your defensive arm. Yeah, and it's like it's like the worst possible thing for a spy network because essentially what they do is they're in you know under diplomatic cover in countries of interest all over the world, and they will be gathering intelligence and and turning various people to betray their country to so to give your country an advantage so that they have information. I'm frightened. I can look after you. You'll be safe. I can only speak to your chief. I mean, Alain, nobody else. It's too dangerous. I can only speak to Alain. Tell me. Only the head of the circus. Go back now. I will confess this. I had watched precisely and read precisely enough Tinker Taylor and John Le Carre to be able to write a sketch about it. Right. As most <laughs> right. comedy writers do. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I profess an enormous knowledge of things I've watched one of. Yeah. I can probably yeah. do a good sort of Fry and Laurie style yeah. Tony and Control sketch based on the <laughs> yes, one or two exactly. episodes I've watched. So this was an absolute pleasure to, to, to visit it. And my mm. first reaction revisiting it is going, this is a beautiful sealed world. And what's amazing about it is that none of it matters. Mm. It's the most important, the highest stakes possible. They are the frontline soldiers of a of, a, of a, an ongoing war mm. between superpowers, mm. and you go, well, what, what's at stake? Is there a is there a doomsday machine? Is there a, a yeah. is anthrax going to be released in the underground? No, someone is going to turn yeah. out to be working for the other side. It's purely. It's, it turns out that yeah. someone who works for Hufflepuff has yeah. secretly been ta- yes. has been working for Slytherin, and you go, this is the schoolest, lowest level, most tribal. I mean, mm. primate tribe level of going. Well, if someone's in the other club. That what if someone doesn't believe in your club and believes in the other club? That's unthinkable. So the the real shocking thing about the Cambridge Spiring and Philby, uh, when you sort of start to read about and the consequences, you know, there were foreign operations launched. I don't know what they would call it officially, a sort of disruption operation in Albania. Yeah. Anyway, they, they launched an operation and it's very much like at the beginning of, of Tinker Taylor when Jim Prido gets shot. Czechoslovakia, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they launched the operation, and the Soviets were waiting for. They've given know, away their plans. Many people died. That 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 level of spy thriller. It works, mm. because you go mm. there's, there's people getting shot in the back. There's betrayals. You turn up at a border crossing, yeah. and you're supposed to be no one there, and suddenly there's they're, they're rolling yeah, tanks in. Yeah, that feels really really urgent. Then, but then when you take a step back from it, and you go, what's really interesting is that no point in a Alien Fleming spy mm. novel. Yeah, they would make really clear the threat of they've taken yeah. the nuclear codes and they're going to launch a bomb at Berlin. Yeah, yeah. So there's always a ticking clock. Um, but there's always also physical danger, physical yeah. threat, and maybe sort of <clears throat> land being destroyed or property being destroyed. All the threats are kept very out of sight in the carry. Yeah. The problem is that the circus is compromised. They have almost never mention what happens to anyone apart from spies. It's an entirely sealed mm. club. Yeah. And you get the feeling that, well, something terrible would happen if a spy turned out to be working for the side, but it's never verbalised. There's never yeah. a, a shot of people running for safety from no, from. And that's it's what, kept very very quiet. It and is, and I, I just like it seals I, it. Beautifully. I think as well that the, the the TV show 
you watch it now, you go, oh my God, you can actually sit there and scroll through your phone and the shot is still active on somebody just walking down a street. Yeah, the low-keyness like, of it. It's all internal. But what I loved about it was that the, the threat was to their club. Mm. Um, obviously, in the real world, mm. there are real consequences to someone getting your nuclear codes or whatever. There, sure, there, there sure. are real consequences to someone uh, uncovering your yeah. overseas activities and jeopardising the lives of spies. But that's dealt with probably with a couple of scenes where oh, there's yeah. any physical jeopardy to anybody. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the unthinkability of yes. of betrayal, yes. of someone being outside the gang. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by you coming here and sitting down and the first thing you said, because mm. I thought, oh, we'll get there somewhere, was this is school. Yeah. This is about school, yeah. and this is about Oxford, and this is about uh, going maybe into the judiciary or into yeah, Parliament. Yeah, it's about, it's those about sealed, clubs and schools and Those sealed units. And, yeah, and yeah. The novel opens with, it's a later episode in the series, <clears> but it opens with Jim Prudhoe undercover yeah. in a public school. Yeah. He's a schoolmaster. Yeah. And it couldn't be clearer that the setting of this thing is an allegory for Absolutely. the British Absolutely. Uh, class system and how we feed people into our class system and how limited yeah. <clears> their worldview outside that system is. These people yeah. are trapped inside wood panelling. For the whole of their lives. Now then, Jambo. See that man? Who's he then? Seen him before? No, sir. Anybody seen him before? No, no sir. sir. He's not staff and he's not village. So who is he? Beggar man? Thief? Tinker tailor, soldier sailor. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. I read a, a theory of Philby's betrayal. You're absolutely right. It's like uh, in the book, it sort of starts with Prido at the at the school, and, and he's now working as a mm. as a master in a boys' public school. And you kind yeah. of go, well, of course he's got that job because it's the same as his old job. He's just working, <laughs> exactly. disciplining a bunch of unruly yeah. uh, uh, boys in an yeah. institution. It's the it's the world he knows. Yeah, I, I read this uh, really interesting thing when I was struggling to come to terms with my own schooling and upbringing and the awfulness of it. Yeah, I read this whole thing about. Philby and his betrayal and it just really sat well with me I just thought yeah of course of course he did that of course really? he wanted it of course it was a big fuck you to the establishment of course it was Night of revenge. he just sat there for years watching them squirm because he fucking hated them and I think Cornwall wow. I think Le Carre he definitely hated them as well and I think he he had also had such a dysfunctional childhood the you know relationship with his father is very well known but also his schooling and his and his reaction to that. He's rather better known as the novelist John le Carre. Education was taken over by people who were very much concerned about the way I might go and who were trying to replace the disciplines of an absent father. Uh, so that religion, both in my early childhood and later when I got to public school, the Sherborne, which I really profoundly hated, uh, was offered to me as an alternative to life's temptations. Your mother died when you were very young, didn't she? No, she didn't die. No, no, she's alive. But um, for a lot of complex family reasons, I didn't see her after the age of about five until the age of about 21. And with your father away, did you feel in that sense, I mean, is it too easy to say that you felt rather deserted in that way? Yes, I, I think I felt deserted. I mean, I think about my distrust of anyone in authority or uniform or who purports to have that sort of authority and then i and then you times it by a thousand when you think of philby because his his upbringing was just horrendous and you know cornwall's was as well i'm aware now and then 
uh, of great surges of self-pity about being alone at that time and not knowing where my mother was and not knowing where my father was also. And then you, you start to join all these things together and go, right. oh, that's fascinating. So that sort of betrayal for him, you know, public schools just taught boys to separate themselves from their emotions so that, you know, in Victorian times, they could go to India and be in an outpost for three years and not not blub or get emotional about it. And so you've got to just hold the line, stiff up a lip, queen and country. You're training the foot soldiers of the empire. Training the foot soldiers of the empire. You are, but you're doing more than that. You're training men to go and command in faraway places and do it with, you know, order, discipline, and to have no emotional attachment. How did he explain his absences? Um, he didn't. And, and it was part of the secret atmosphere in which we lived that nobody was explained. Nobody's absences were explained. Nobody's occupations were explained. Um, and when uh, my mother, for her own reasons, um, faded away from our lives, it was never spoken of. Uh, and if I asked my grandmother, she would say, shush. Uh, and equally, my father's long absences um, were, were given a heroic quality. He's away earning money, or he's away um, so that you can go to public school. I don't, I don't think there's a... Watching it again, I don't think there is a more accurate depiction of school for me, because it was filmed in 1979. I went to school in 1982. It, it looks exactly like my school. Wow. It's extraordinary. It, the, even the way that the teachers talk. You, it's you, got a faux sort of upper class sort of, now I understand that what we have to do here is where, you're like, those you're cadences. Not, what What are you doing? You Were you boarding school? Yeah, yeah. So you were sent away? Yeah. So you were sent away at uh, what age? At uh, nine. So it's remarkably late for, to get rid of a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the later younger, ones, of course. Yeah. <laughs> No, I um So I, did you have a real feeling of obviously you would have if you're nine you would have known home and well, missed it. Yes, although home was pretty disruptive as we moved every sort of two years or You're a forced child. Yeah, yeah. Like my wife is, yeah. So basically so, you're, you're so you just move of the army or the RF or whatever. Yeah. yeah, you just move around. So but I mean I, I don't actually remember that time because it was so shocking. The sort of um a phrase just popped into my head, uh, which is um when people are uh, captured, like w when they're taken hostage, it's called the shock of capture. You literally wow. go into a sort of fugue state. Where Defensive you, fugue state. Well, you sort of just, you don't talk, you're just very compliant. And I think that's, I mean, it happened to me and it was awful. And you just sort of become, you sort of become the institution, but because you, that's how you survive. But there's this part of you, which is you, yeah. which you need to protect. Right, and it what it does is it sort of separates your um, emotional state. So you're you find it very hard in later life to communicate emo emotionally to it make just, a connection between those two people. Yeah, because you you're you're in a constant state of um, I have to protect myself. So I can't allow myself to be too emotionally attached to somebody because they will they will let me down. Right. So you're, 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 you're constantly looking after yourself and it sort of detaches you in a um, mental way from yourself. And then the only way that you can stitch that back later on is by 
therapy. The most hypnotic thing, if I am self-indulgent and think about that time, is how little I remember. And uh, insofar as writing uh, is a solitary experience where one dredges around in one's subconscious, I often think that the things that come to me perhaps belong to that that rather closed-off time in my life. So I, I had COVID again recently, COVID again, and I took the opportunity to sort of catch up on a lot of stuff because I wasn't being bothered by anyone, so I could sort of lie in bed and recuperate. And I started reading Tinker Taylor again and just fell in love with it again. It, it will forever, I think, for me, be a book that I can just go back yeah. to and just absolutely dive into. Very early on in, in, in the novel, we meet Prido much earlier. And it's sort of, it's actually a brilliant narrative device because you're just asking all these questions about who the hell is this guy? And why have we started in a school? Why have we started in a school? <laughs> and I read again the um, Jim Prido at the school. He becomes a, an object of absolute fascination for the boy. Why doesn't he look this way? Something funny about that. Here's a bunch of boys burning up a car around a playing field and he doesn't even give them a glance. You would, wouldn't you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Doesn't he like boys? Doesn't he like cars? Doesn't even look at that car. Best Britain ever made and years out of production. Because he lives in a little caravan. Yeah. Uh, on the edge of the playing field, but in a natural dip, it says in the book, where actually it'd be very hard for anyone to sneak up on him. And you, you start to think, oh gosh, this guy is quite interesting. You know, he's, yeah, yeah. he's had some training, da da da. And of course, the boys, all being nine, ten years old, they are absolutely enthralled by this mysterious man who's just come out of nowhere as a sort of French supply teacher and yeah. he becomes very attached to this one young chap who clearly is the young chap who's being bullied the most and he's not sporty and Jim becomes very protective of him and I just I remembered it, it, it sort of distantly in my memory uh, of reading the book for the first second time whatever 20 years ago coming back to it I realized how resonant it is of of being at these schools and these institutions. And there's a little passage that I'll read to you now, and it's all about um, the tragedy of being abandoned as a nine-year-old in an institution where uh, people accepted it at the time, going, well, of course, they're just going to boarding school. It's fine. Yeah. Because they'll be back at the weekends and they'll be back, or they'll be back for half term and Christmas. Or no, no, no. You are telling your child that you don't love them. Yeah. And you're putting them in an institution where there are dangerous people. And if they are bullied, then that will just really exacerbate the trouble that they will have. It's the insanity of, of the elite, the very, very rich, putting their kids through an experience that if it was on a charity appeal mm. on the television, yeah. would raise loads of money. These children have been abandoned by their parents. Well, it's like, it's like a Romanian orphanage. <laughs> it's that well, kind it's, of well, it is that level. And it's, it, it is, actually. It has the you're same You're paying for effect. a huge privilege to put your children through basically what people go through in war. Exactly. And and what, you know, refugees are going through right now as we speak, you know, yeah. there are children separated and they will never re recover from They will that. be traumatised by the best uh, brutal bullies that money can buy. We know now that it it is the opposite of what you should do with, <laughs> with children who are by their very nature vulnerable because yeah. they are eight, nine years old. Yeah. Anyway, so Le Carre spends a lot of time talking about this uh, young boy who Prido sort of marks out because he knows in his heart that this boy is being bullied and he knows this boy is not the most athletic and he takes him under his wing and it's it's done quite nicely in in the 
TV show, but obviously they don't have the time to do it. Yeah. But in the novel, you really start to feel for how lost Predo is, how and how lost the boy is, and how you know you just go, oh, it's it's the boy and the man, and they are one and the same. Beautiful. And so the little boy Bill thinks he's he's uh, there's one moment he thinks he's betrayed Jim because his world is so small, and he thinks he's done something. Yeah. And Jim is acting oddly. And this passage really leapt out at me. Uh, it, it basically, Bill is, is uh, ruminating on how special Jim is. Clearly, Bill is looking for a kind, benevolent parent yeah. to step in and tell him everything's going to be fine. And Le Carre writes this wonderful, really evocative for me, because I remember doing it as a child after I'd been abandoned, going, Who, who's going to look after me? Who's yeah. going to watch out for me? So, it, so Bill says, well, Lacari says of Bill, he rehearsed the circumstances of their first meeting, and in particular Jim's inquiry regarding friendship. And he had a holy terror that just as he had failed his parents in love, so he had failed Jim, largely owing to the disparity of their ages, and that therefore Jim had moved on and was already looking somewhere else for a companion, scanning other schools with his pale eyes. He imagined also that like himself, Jim had had a great attachment that had failed him. And you just go, <laughs> oh my God. That's it. That's it. In, a, in an absolute nutshell, it's talking to that, talking about these terrible schools and talking about uh, this little boy Roach's place in that school and his, and his yearning for attachment and his telling, telling the reader that when you go to these institutions, it feels like your parents have said, we don't love you anymore. You're in the family unit, but we do not love you yeah. because you have to go here now. We don't, you, you literally mean nothing to us. So go and sort yourself out. This is rejection. Utter rejection. So this little boy is casting around for, he's found this attachment in Jim, who's just this wonderful man who's come into their lives and is being more than a father figure, like allowing them to play in his car yeah, and yeah. showing them secrets and, you know, being not like the institution. Yeah. And now he fears that he's lost him too. And his, and in his little brain, his little boy brain saying, maybe he's going to look at other schools and maybe he's going to find another me yeah. in another school and maybe I'm not good enough. And that for me is basically encapsulates what happens to you as a child at one of these schools. You just, your whole life is spent thinking, well, I'm not good enough. I'm yeah. not good enough for any attachment, so why do I bother? Well, there's a bit of the end. Read it. In my heart I am free. Deep inside me burns a new and blessed light. I used to think that the secret world was a separate place and I was banished forever to an island of half-people. But God has shown me we have only to open the door and step outside to be free. Lawrence, you must always long for the light which I have found. It is called love. Now I shall take this to our secret place while there is still time. And then you don't trust. And then you don't trust. And then you've got a novel here about not trusting. Right. And it's just and about what happens, betrayal it's and so, not trusting. Exactly. How enormously clever. That is mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant. Layered. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Colour of hair, Jumbo? Sort of light coloured, sir. Height? About the same as you, sir. Age? Well, hard to say, really, sir. Go as it was, at that distance. You'd know him again, Jumbo, for sure. Best watcher in the unit, Jumbo Roaches, eh? As long as he keeps his specs clean. Fictional spy uh, movies and novels, they will always concentrate on the jim predo is sent to do which is to go and make contact with somebody turn them bring them in and they will spill the beans and actually control has sent jim to go and find out who the mole is so the stakes are really high there but in reality for a spy nowadays what your job is and this ties it all the way back to you know your separation from emotion your separation from morals your separation from you know you're being asked to do the bidding of the state, yeah. which is essentially go and hang out in a embassy party <laughs> uh, in, let's say you're in Greece. Go, go to, you know, you're, you're in Athens, you're attached to the embassy. All the other spies knows you, know you're a spy. <laughs> Most of the other embassy staff know that you're not the cultural attache. Uh, you go and you hang out at these parties and you bump into this slightly depressed junior minister and he says oh man i, d- I don't know my something i'm just sorry i my, i'm having a little trouble at home i just me and my wife aren't getting on and um uh, anyway i i basically at, at weekends i just relax i play tennis oh you play tennis yeah oh i <laughs> that's really strange i i'm i love tennis i play tennis really <laughs> oh my god maybe we should hang out we'll hang out and as you hang out you get chatting and then yeah. your your job is to get as much information on the way the Greeks are conducting their foreign relations with a target country of interest. You are there to gather information, to 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 gather intelligence. and Using social skills. Using social skills. And then as you get into the sort of real nitty gritty, you're there to essentially, your goal is to invite somebody to betray their country. So you you will then meet them and say, listen, I'm your best mate. Now, of course, you're not their best mate and you have lied up until that point no ricky passports who are you at the moment pool british you have just fabricated your way into their life it's a very odd profession and it's not glamorous in any way i was about to say the other thing that is is exactly (laughs) how you survive in a public school there you go. You go and pretend to be friends with people who you wouldn't normally be friends with for Mm -hmm. your own survival Mm -hmm. you gather information and you are 
what you're trained to be is socially incredibly capable. Yeah. Uh, and to get on with people and hide how you really feel mm. about them mm. and to have two sides to you, a, a sociable, clubbable side. I mean, most yeah. of us do this anyway. That's how you sure. how people are sociable. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone goes, well, I feel like a fraud. Well, everyone is a little bit. As in yeah, you, yeah. you, That's what being in a tribe is. You get along with each sure. other. People who sort of go out and, and, and say, I'm only going to be myself, have no friends. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying is that spying uses the same skills, the same social skills yeah. to get along in a, in a, a fixed environment yeah. as public school system does as going to university does, you go away from home and you learn sure. these skills. Uh, and it's also, you're not at home. You're somewhere else. You're somewhere it's else. It's very and... different going to a village school with all the kids you grew up with yeah. than it is being sent to the other side of the country. I've got a job for you. Familiar territory. Czechoslovakia. Perhaps a bit too familiar. Which identity do you want to use? I'd suggest Vladimir Hayek. Still a Czech journalist? Yes. Still based in Paris? Yes. Has anyone else used him? <laughs> Again, this speaks to Le Carre's observation of class and class structure, which is still, it, it is so what our country is about. Yes. Still. Uh, you know, no one talks uh, about that enough. I think it's one of the great things uh, it, that said. No, no, no. It is one of the great unsaids, and it still is. And, you know, that institution is still there. I think the way he does it brilliantly, and it's, and it's so true, is it's so close to reality, is the way he deals with Ricky Tarr. Yes. I know that this obviously still happens. If you're if you're an intelligence agency, you'll have your officers and they will be very fluid in and very good at gathering information and they'll be heading up sort of operations and they'll be yeah. sort of gathering information. But your Ricky Tars, they're they're a little bit more at the sort of dirty end of things. They'll be the guys who can gather information where you can't gather yeah. information. They'll be the guys that you be recruited via various nefarious sort of well this this happens in in the, the brilliant thing was the first episode of of tinker taylor is very much setting up the situation there's yeah. a bit of action so you go oh it is a spy thriller, yeah, yeah, even though they're just yeah. sitting talking episode two is ricky tar's story yeah uh, ricky tells, tells his tale and ricky tar is the closest thing they've got to james bond a proper dashing mm. uh sort of richard hanney spy who's in the field sure. he's a field yeah. agent and they say at the beginning the first thing smiley says to him is of course i remember you ricky your father was an Australian, I recall. A solicitor and a nonconformist lay preacher. Altogether a most unusual chap to pop up in Marseille. But just such odd circumstances do seem to provide us with suitable personnel. Hmm. Bad boys like Ricky. Daddy thought he could beat the sin out of me, but you knew better, didn't you, Mr. Smiley? He only beat it further in. And that's what scalp hunters are made of. Yeah, oh, he's not yeah, from yeah. within the the, oh, the, he's, the, the, the he's same. So not in there. Not in their world. He's an outsider, which means you then send him out, and he's a field agent, and he does. It's a very enjoyable episode two, and a very cleverly placed yeah. episode two to say to you, if you want to see sexy spies, mm. we can do sexy spies. And he's out there, and he seduces a woman, mm. and she, as you said, every spy knows the other spies are really spies. His cover is he, he sort of he puts on this outrageous accent, yeah. and then halfway through, she starts calling him Lawrence. Like, <laughs> I shall call you Lawrence. Colonel Lawrence. Like Lawrence of Arabia? He was English. I know. It really is like, I know you're not who you are. Um, it's, it's that brilliant thing where the yeah. game is being played. But he, it, there's all the shots in that one that you see mm. in lovely spy threads and have been borrowed since. I mean, there's, there's a big, yeah. long... Uh, avenue in a cemetery from the third yeah, man yeah. in it yeah, yeah. and i noticed oh, the yeah. beginning of the new bond film looks like that episode sure. where he's sure. up in the, the, the hills 
uh, that's so true. They've mm. noticeably referred to it and said, this yeah. is a field agent and he's in the white suit and it's all cool. And that is your episode where you go, this is what it's like. Mm. But what's interesting about that is it made me think, and what you're saying just now completely confirms that, mm. that a lot of the junk that we've picked up with spy fiction mm. through the success of Bond, mm. the stuff that you go, well, what does a spy do? Well, a spy, he always, he's always at casinos, he's always skiing, <laughs> he's always fucking women. Do you, <laughs> you, do you know those were actually job skills? And the weird thing is that's not what Bond does because Bond's yeah. sexy or a sportsman. Mm. He skis because other posh people who have information ski. And he hangs around at, sure. at ambassadors' parties and gets yeah. off with good-looking women because also you wouldn't that's what I'm information. But, but this is this is what's so interesting is that you know you want to watch a Bond film because you know you're going to get all that sexy location. There, there is nothing more unsexy than watching Tinker Taylor. It's like it's all <laughs> filmed in a, a really low, down at heel. It's seventies off. It's dirty. There's no light. Anywhere. Everyone's got it's the, dark. the lighting in that. In that, it's just there's shocking. That, that Everyone's got yellow teeth. They, they it's just, terrible. They just uh, <laughs> they've been interrogating Ricky in the end of the first episode, and the, mm. the, the second episode where they get his story out of him. Christ, they the they open the awful. curtains. Yeah, and he realised they've had all the curtains shut in this room to make it more spy, so no yeah. one can look in. And so all this light pours in, and you go, yeah. "Oh, I haven't had any light for about an episode." <laughs> yeah, but also, <clears throat> it also is shockingly lit. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's like, the whole thing is like, I can't quite see. Is it my telly? Is the contrast? And there's also there's two beautiful bits of storytelling in mm. this. You're watching this, and it's very, as you said, it's authentic. It feels very yeah. uh, written from experience. But there's two clues that you're being told a yarn, yeah. which I love. Yeah, which is the opening scene of yeah. the, the TV adaptation, which is. One by one, the people you're going to follow come yeah, in yeah. and behave differently as they sit down, yeah. uh, with, a, with a teacup and a saucer or oh, a file yeah. or a cigarette. And you read them all the way you would yeah. sitcom characters. And you go, well, I know these guys. Yeah. And as they sit down, it's a long wordless scene. One of yeah. which goes, right, we shall start. And then the title's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that happens, which is when you finally meet Ricky Tarr, who's going to bring back the spy story for them to do. Sure. And he sits down and go, well, this guy looks a bit dashing. He doesn't quite fit. He's got a yeah. leather jacket, kind of swagger. I bet he's a bit like Lewis Collins or something. Yeah. He's kind of an action hero guy. And he sits down and he goes, I've got a story to tell you. It's all about spies. That's the this author. This is great. <laughs> As in, yeah, y- that's yes, what please. I came for. Yeah, Yes, brilliant. please, I am a spy. So tell me. He's saying to the audience yeah. almost out the fourth wall. Yeah, it's uh, Don't worry. I know it's been quite quiet and everyone yeah, keeps yeah. Saying, saying tradecraft and word words you don't understand. I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah. It's all about spies. It's I terrific, love that man. as a piece of bravura. Yes, absolutely. It's a story that's very aware that it's a story and says mm. it out loud. Yeah. Because that's what all spies are. They're collecting stories. Of absolutely. Each other. This is a world of stories. And what's so brilliant about the the whole, even in, you know, the novel, obviously, but Ricky Tarr, he's from a different class. Yeah. And they treat him as such. Peter Gwillem absolutely hates him. He's like, he's like, <laughs> sit down, Tarr. It's like, why do you hate this guy so much? He was one of your guys. It looks like he's worried he's going to get dirt on the furniture. Well, he's going I realize, to spill something. Yeah, it's, it's, I realise it, it's so clever because it's like, it's obviously the deep story there is that they're worried that Tar has been turned by the Russians yes. and is being fed back to them yeah. as, a, as an operation, a sort of distraction operation. And also they'll be suspicious um, of him because he's not within the... The gang. Right. It's like he's you, the most you likely went... outsider. Oh, he's exactly. Like, and exactly. I think that's the story you're telling about that this isn't an allegory for, uh, for Kim Philby is that mm. the first mm. person you suspect is a mm. foreigner or someone from a different class, someone yeah. who went to a different school, yeah. the guy who went to the Red Brick College. Right. They're the guys you mistrust. And so there's an immediate vibe of mistrust about people who are outsiders. Yeah. And the scary story that's actually going to happen is that you can't trust the guys who look well, like maybe part of your gang. All of those guys in that room, of course they're trustworthy. Because they are inside the thing. I mean, how yeah, yeah. could they? How could they possibly it's be spying? Unthinkable. It's unthinkable. It, but that guy, he's dodgy because he's got a funny accent and he's got a, he's got a brown leather jacket and he's a bit cocky. So you made yourself scarce. 
He panicked and went native. Istanbul, so he says, playing the loving father with a daughter called Danny. That's right, Danny's my little kid. The mother seems to be leader of the pack as far as his numerous wives are concerned just now. He's also got <laughs> something which is really, really key to this, which is, again, a lovely public school observation, yeah. which is, you said, this, this, this office is manned. It's just men. Yeah. They've been to single-sex public schools. Yeah. They probably only hang out. They go to clubs where it's men only. Yeah. There are no women. There's not any, in any money pennies and things in this. Ricky Tarr has women. Yeah. He has a sensuality to him. He's a sexy man. Yeah. And he goes out and gets information by making people fall in love with him. Yeah. These guys are sexist. The, the, the beautiful runny gag so of, of How's the Lovely Anne. Absolutely. You see it in Alec Guinness's performance. The, yeah, the yeah. coldest behind those eyes. When someone says to him, How is the lovely Lady Anne? How's the lovely Anne? Yes. And he goes in his eyes, I have a beautiful wife a long way away. How about your wife? And I am going to, on my face, show no feelings for her at all. How's Anne? Yeah. Because I'm aware that when you say how's the lovely Anne, you've probably been having sex or you know who she's having mm. sex with mm. because it's all, and it's an open secret within the thing. So I'm being cuckolded publicly yeah. and I will gently feel nothing. Yeah. So he's threatened to his core. When you finally meet the lovely Anne, she's wonderful. Just the same. You too. Yeah. I was waiting for her to be like an unseen off, like Vera from Cheers. Yeah. This is a mannering thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something to lose. He loves Lady Anne. Yeah. She's a wonderful person. So he's, Every time he's not reacting to that teasing, which is kind mm. of public school teasing, mm. we all know your wife's a yeah, bit of a yeah. goer. The brutality of that, which is really small within it, feels like one of the most savage things, which is to say, I know there's something you really feel, yeah. which is your relationship with your wife. Yeah. I will poke that with a sharp prod, yeah. and the game is for you to not react. And he does it icily, and you go, mm. well, that tells me everything about you. Within this culture, within this class, and the mm. society, within mm. Britain... The damage that's been done to these people is being used for their job. They are yeah. all the ultimate people to do this job because they've been brutalised by capture. Yeah. No, um... Julian, was that his name? Jake. And, no, Jake. Gone. Actually got a job somewhere. Yeah. And the assumption being that she's a sensual woman mm. who is uh, somewhere else having sex with everybody. <laughs> yes. um, and there's the beautiful scene mm. when they... when. Uh, George Smiley goes to see Connie, Beryl Reed, who's an mm. ex-information analyst uh, within the within the SIS, and she's been fired alongside him when there was mm. the clear-out. And she goes to, he goes to see an old friend, mm. and he goes to see him, and her performance is, I, I think it won a BAFTA, it's amazing. George Smiley, oh, you lovely darling man. You haven't come to sell me a, a hoover. You're my gorgeous George. Connie. The show belongs to her from like one episode with her ah, appearances so as much as it does Alec Guinness. And she is sensual. Yeah, and she it, says, it's my oldest lover. Yeah. And it builds towards that scene where yeah. he leans towards her and she, she's almost in tears and she says, please kiss me, George. And you yeah. realise that there was some passion. Hey-ho, halcyon days. Yeah. But the whole point of the circus is it's these cold, mm. passionless men who don't talk about sex and don't talk about things and you go this is just about just everything has to be about cricket and yeah. everything has to be coded and everything has a sort of and when you when you're listening to them you go this isn't a this is a club that i don't belong to yeah. and they don't want you to belong to it because yes. they are the governors of the spy world they are the at the head it's a study everything. it's a study in what's wrong with i mean generally it's a study in what's wrong with men it's a study in what's <laughs> wrong with a certain sort of man and these are the kind of men who would talk about sport mm. films they'd probably talk about tinker tailor soldier spy to avoid talking about how they're really feeling <laughs> um, and i think we all understand yeah. that as in the impulse to find anything else to talk about yeah, yeah. there's a feeling of pity for them 
Yeah. That's really lovely. Again, Connie, who is just the soul of it. And Connie says something absolutely heartbreaking. She says, Poor loves. Trained to empire. Trained to rule the waves. If you are a, a boy, and I imagine for a boy who went to a certain sort of school, and a boy who went to who was of a certain sort of generation or knew mm. people like this, mm. this is quite a savage takedown of what we asked people to do to keep our country running. I want to remember you just as you were, my lovely, lovely boys. And then when she talks about being thrown out of the circus, she says, And what did they say the day they gave me the chop? That personnel cow. You're losing your sense of proportion, Connie. It's time you got out into the real world. Well, I hate the real world. I like the circus my lovely boys. <laughs> I hate the real world. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you think, these people can't exist. In a, if the real world includes yeah. feelings, sex, yeah. sensuality, relationships, music, being in touch with their music. emotion, music, passion, <laughs> anything like that, yeah. they won't function there. They can only function in this sort of icy place, which is what Britain expects of its public school educated servants. Yeah, yeah. but it, what, what's interesting about the Connie character, I think, is when this was written, we're talking about people who'd been in active service in the war. Right. So Connie would have undoubtedly been, you know, Bletchley maybe, and then, yeah. and then seconded into um, MI6 or whatever. And these, all these people had this kind of life-changing experience of the war, which was terrible and awful and shocking and disruptive. And they'd already had shocking, terrible, disruptive childhoods yes, because exactly. their parents, you know, it just sort of, Suddenly, here we are in the 70s. A tunnel of trauma leading yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely. This kind of like uh, trauma. And I, but I think Connie, it was safe, but she was playing a game. Her intellectual ability is all about playing this game really well. She knows exactly who the targets are in this country. So she knows the target source Merlin. She knows, she knows yeah, yeah. that person. And she knows that she tips Smiley off and says, we knew he wasn't what he said he was. We knew he was army all the way through and we knew he was here to meet somebody and you know that too tough as a button culture attache balls army written all over him well she's a really good spy yeah and she's a really good spy who cries yeah. and kisses yeah. and says the word love and it turns out that you don't have to be george smiley to be a really good spy well yes but i think i think for connie it's about it's more about the institution it's about her love of that academic world for her it was yeah. an academic exercise yeah. it was her being in you know she would go to work and or have a, her lovely boys who are yeah. these you know beautiful men floating around with their intrigues and their secrets yeah and they were all of that sort of intellectual standing where they were playing the game against the enemy the great enemy because it it, it had stopped being an active war it's where they were running agents into france it had become a Cold War where they were running yeah. agents behind the Iron Curtain. It became a game, playing this very complicated game of chess against a, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a sort of spy master on the other side of the Iron Curtain. Oh, he had a lovely voice. Mellow like yours. I used to play the tapes over and over just to, to bathe in it. This comes back to Le Carre's writing and, and how incredible he was at drawing character. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really in that sort of context of uh, popular fiction, I don't think I found a writer who's come close to that. His, his observation 
of character and his ability to tell you everything you know about the character in a page or two. And you go, oh, I know exactly who that person is because I, I, I met a guy like that once or I met a woman who, who, is, who worked at this. It's masterful. Again, what you're talking about here is someone who you said observation. Well, that's yeah. spying. Right. Your job as right. a spy right. is to watch exactly. people and exactly. guess what they're going to do next. Yeah. And one of the lovely pleasures of fiction, of any sort of fiction, the way the human brain works is <clears> you as a viewer or a reader mm. are taking in information, trying to guess what's going, what's going to happen next. Mm. So a spy fiction and detective fiction is so human wired to make us happy. Yeah. I mean, you, so yeah. you just watch people and go, I wonder yeah. who they're going to be. I wonder who he's going to be. And Le Carre, who is a, an amazing observer, who's been spying on these characters, reveals yeah. to you details that help you guess. Yeah. And yet, it is has a reputation as one of the most confusing and impenetrable spy texts ever. Yeah. And yet, when you watch it, you go, nothing is hidden. Everything is clear. It's just you're being invited to watch very closely. Exactly. And I think what's so, what's so elegant about it is it demands your full attention. Uh, this is what's so masterful, I think, about it, is that the, all, the, all the turns in the story, they keep you coming back, even though there's no great big... Bond jumping off a no, cliff, no. Bond shooting up a casino, da da da. None of that. Just boring men in offices. Men in offices who are overweight and need to stop smoking. Guys, <laughs> you're all smoking too much. <laughs> well, isn't that the reason when they finally meet a journalist in Fleet Street and you realize yeah, yeah. he's the really unhealthy one, they realize that they're just comparing themselves to yeah. Joss Ackland's really, yeah. really fat Fleet Street guy. God, and Joss Ackland, what a turn. Uh, oh, again, oh, so good. Structurally as well, I remember thinking, I was watching it thinking, the reputation is, it's this sort of, as you said, you fast forward through and it all looks yeah. the same. It's people talking. Yeah. But each episode has a star turn, Absolutely. a character. And yeah, yeah. It's written in that lovely way of any yeah, yeah. kind of detective thing where you're, you're following a chain of witnesses who can give you information. Yeah. And each one of them is a beautiful star turn. Someone turns up and one episode, which has all got the public school texture. There's one episode that's got some mm. Connie in it, lots of Oxford. There's yeah. one episode that's got some Fleet Street in it. It's all the institutions within 60s and 70s Britain being peeled away and exposed mm. and to be, and usually at the root of them are these horrible damaged, mm. cold, difficult men yeah. who have been sort of brutalised to the point where this is the only thing they can do. Yeah. And the state is making use of them. And it's a, this game is of no benefit to any of them. They've been told to go and play it. Mm. I, I suppose, you know, again, bring it back to the system in place. It's like you will play the rugby game on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, because you've got to keep the school's end up. Yeah, because you're against the enemy. Now, listen. There's, there's points. There's points at stake. It does feel the like that. School's reputation is at stake. Yeah, I think. And that, then suddenly you've got somebody, you know, a boss. You're there. You are, you know, twenty two or whatever, out in some far flung part of the world, and there's there's another housemaster sort of going now. Country's reputation is at stake. It's a play up and you play the game play thing. The it's game. team colours and flags and, yeah. things. and when you peel that away, if you've got any cynicism about that, which is really hard to come by because mm. we're all baked in it in, in one yeah. way or another, whether yeah. it's through our support of a football team or being proud of the town we're from or mm -hmm. our family or mm -hmm. or our career, what we've chosen. We're all proud of something about ourselves that you can be forced to rally under a flag yeah. and do irrational things to defend that, your politics or your religion or something. Yeah. And it's all about this is saying that you've been conditioned it's, to just not see how yeah. ridiculous that is. <laughs> but I think I think Le Carre did it in such a way and he he was just starting his journey then. He was just picking away at that thing that bothered him. And then in the future, you get these incredible works like um, The Constant Gardener, yeah. which goes after Big Pharma yeah. in a way that you just go, wow, you're fucking angry, man. And he was so angry about the way the country had moved 
so angry about the institution, so angry about how we're yeah. governed. It, um, questioning institutions, and I think at the heart of it, I'm sorry to bring it back to it, but it is true about questioning class and yes. how class runs everything. And it's just been with us forever. Our sort of reverence of, of, of monarchy, which yes. is just go, what, what if you to, to just take two steps back, you go, hang on, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. <laughs> What's going on? Does yeah. anybody know what's going on? It's like, why are these people still doing this? But the comfort of it is the familiarity. And I wonder whether that familiarity is there for anyone who didn't grow up with these assumptions. Because I think the comfort is to watch someone pull apart mm. what was unquestioned growing up, which yeah. is there's a certain way of doing things, there's a certain way of behaving. Yeah. There are expectations of your gender. There are expectations of your yeah. uh, nationality, expectations of your status, your, your work habits. Yeah. And that comes down to watching these people who have been through the most extreme form, mm. as you said, of abduction mm. into this cult, yeah. brutalised yeah. and told they don't want anything more than this. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. The comfort I get from it is is seeing exactly that, and seeing it when I really analyse it, it is exactly that because there's a scene at the end of the seventies version. Uh, at the end, where Smiley in the in the safe house goes, wow, well, there there it is. Then that's what's happened, and they're all there, and they're all looking. Re- <laughs> they all look like schoolboys, like looking down, just going, yes, I suppose uh, it's a bit of a bit of a to do, isn't it? Yes, there will be a reckoning. You're all dicks, yeah, because yeah. you let this play out, and I've brought it down, and I'm from outside of this yeah, yeah. institution. You know, I was inside it, but I was never properly accepted. But guess what? I'm the academic slight outsider who's going to now just mix things up it's like Ofsted have turned up yeah and they say, well, and this go, school we're in charge rotten yeah. to the heart this, yeah, you guys special are measures now dicking about <laughs> and honestly you at you that stage outstanding and- at that stage you think you look at it and go it's a bunch of six formers who've just been caught caught with their own still yeah and they've and, and they've been it's been pulled apart and they're all in a lot of trouble actually you know and they're all kind of smoking their pipes and looking down and the tragedy of that situation is that you know they'll they'll drift off into other parts of the club, yeah. and they will be knighted, and they will be revered, and they will, and that's what happens now. Yes, we, this is this is the, the there are no the, consequences. There are no consequences. This is what this is where we are. I've been asked to look after things for a while. I'd like everyone to take some leave. Afterwards, there'll be some redeployment. For those of you who wish to remain with the service. That um, moment in the, in the series where you see Jim Prudeau and you see uh, the boys, those young boys with their sort of big eyes, all sort of like... At the look, school, when at he's the being school, the master, yeah, yeah. Lo- looking up, you know, and, and you think all of those boys have been abandoned in this like, terrible institution. Some of them will survive. Some of them will go on and have very unhappy lives and not understand why. I know that. You know, I know that. From now. experience. Um, and it's that institution, that, that way of thinking, that class system, that, that way of telling you what you should be. You should detach um, your emotions, detach yourself, detach become yourself two people. Yeah, exactly. The first time I watched it, I went, about halfway through, I went, oh, my God. Because you suggested it as well. It might, probably might have been on my brain. I went, this is the best allegory for uh, public school I've ever seen. 
I yeah. didn't go to public school, but I went to a grammar school which was sem- attempted to simulate it. Yeah. So I saw it from, again, a slightly outsider point of view. Yeah, and I know lots yeah. of friends who have been through public school. And that sort of slight sort of uh, shut yourself down and you'll get through because it's quite brutal, especially yeah, boarding yeah. school is really, really hard. Yeah. And it's loads of people who the worst thing that can happen <clears> is for anyone to find out anything about them. Yeah. So that's what spying is. You have to pretend to be someone else. Yeah. Um, and you have to, the one thing you mustn't find out is if you're <clears> upset <throat> or, or angry or whatever. Mm. Your cover can be blown mm. in this world by yeah. someone finding out what you're thinking. And as an allegory for public school, I thought that was sensational. I still believe the secret services are the only real expression of a nation's character. I love, <laughs> I love that the key revelation, yeah. again, spoilers, fast forward 30 seconds, is that Sue is, was the moment of disillusion for mm. the mole, yeah. which is the classic thing. There are two responses to Sue is. Mm. One is you can go, well, the empire is rotten at its heart. A Britain is a fraud, <clears throat> and this is all an act. And the other yeah. response is Fleming's response, which is we invent a superhero. Yeah. And the James Bond response is that post Suez, we need someone, uh, a British person who polices the entire world and yeah. kill anyone they yeah, don't like. Just keeping the British end up. That's where you see the difference in these two sure. spy worlds, which yeah. come from uh, are being made at the same time, yeah. are being enjoyed, are huge yeah, bestsellers yeah. at the same time. And one is a view that says, we are in decline, yeah. I need to do something about it. Yeah. Another one is, we are in decline, and by pretending we're not in decline, we can somehow have a palliative response that we can, we can get out of this slowly by pretending we're still superheroes, yeah. that we still have the empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a feeling in this that something has to be done about the sort of people we breed to run mm. the world, mm. and that they can't be these guys anymore. Yeah. You go home, and if you come back. You know, if you, if you then follow up, and read more Le Carre and you know why wouldn't you it's just it's just <laughs> brilliant um you'll see you'll see the pattern you know his 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 disdain for the way it's run the mistakes that are made one of my favorite adaptations is Taylor of Panama uh, it has Pierce Brosnan as the lead he's the rogue MI6 agent Brosnan had already been Bond Brilliant. And so he's, and you should watch it. Um, I urge anyone to watch it because it's just, it's such a fabulous kind of out there plot. Yeah. And he's making that comment. He's saying, yeah. we can't trust these people. Don't give these people authority, <laughs> weapons, yeah, yeah, they're better yeah. to kill people. For God's sake, don't give them weapons. Took my gun away too. I shouldn't have done that, should he, Mr. Smiley? What's haunting me about this is that watching it, I kept thinking there's an amazing criticism of the systems that put the people Mm. in place who are in charge mm. within these institutions it's so much more than a spy story it's about you're right it's about it's not about class in the sense of class against class it's about mm. saying what happens if you let one class be in charge mm. and have a system in place for training the next generation of these people and then it gets fixed it gets locked yeah. it occurred to me once that you could be born in a nice wood panelled house mm-hmm. if you're affluent and if you go to prep school a nice wood panelled prep school and then go to a public school boarding school with, with, with wood panelling and then go to Oxford or Cambridge with mm. wood panelling, and then probably go to Inns of Court mm-hmm. as a lawyer mm-hmm. with wood panelling, and then go to Parliament mm-hmm. where there's wood panelling, uh, and probably end up in number 10 where there's wood panelling. And you would not know that there are people out there without wood panelling. Yeah. And that system is so seamless, that mm-hmm. sort of prep school to public school to PPE to mm-hmm. Parliament, yeah. that we end up governed by people who are completely strange. Yeah. And I don't think it occurs to us as English people to question that because we are told that they are naturally in charge. Mm. And what they are, and what Le Carre is exposing, is they are slightly strange people. I was shocked watching this at how savagely and angrily this dismantled that story. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, um, 
it's a proper work of art. I think he's really somewhere along the line. He was working for that institution. He was doing what he was supposed to do. And somewhere along the line, he thought, I've got to do something about this <laughs> because this is absurd. It's starting to pick at it, starting to, you know, open the bonnet and, and go, look at the mess, look at the mess. And I, and I think he's done it so beautifully and so cleverly and did it throughout his life. Always questioned, always poking it, always unpopular, apparently, with those in the service and those in, really? in, in the establishment. But for that, I, I take great comfort in that. I take great comfort in that. I suppose ever since I figured out what was going wrong with me and my life and realizing it, and it was a while ago now, but it, you know, I still, I'm still, I will never be free of it. it, it that the, the fact that there was this one sort of lone warrior just sticking it to them. From the inside, Amazing. you know, uh, you know, people, people go, oh, for goodness sake, he's a mole. He's a mole. <laughs> you know, people are going, oh, well, of course, Lugaria is fabulous. You know, and you go, yeah, you know that he's, you know, he's fucking with you. He hates you. <laughs> you know that he hates you. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, that gives me that gives me great comfort because I I don't have the the subtlety or the skill to be able to do that, but by Christ, I want to, and I and I'll I've, do I've, it in. I've seen that in your work that you're. You're always talking about the idea of, of, of people of this class and certainly the way you, you deal with the military and things. Yeah, yeah. Where you're sort of saying, there are people who are holding things back, not admitting their true selves, yeah. separate themselves, not living yeah. the life they want to because yeah, yeah. they've been brutalised by the system and told they cannot admit the truth. That's very true. Uh, yeah, certainly of the, of the captain. <laughs> Absolutely in ghosts, yeah. Um, but there's a, bit, there's a bit of Lucari in there, I think. I think that's, that's if you maybe. wouldn't be writing that unless you'd been given the keys to this sure sure no that's true but i you know there's there's a part part of me and sort of i like to wallow in it because i just think how wonderfully clever he is at undermining that yeah. system and showing showing you what it is you know it, it, you're right it's like why should there be this kind of group of people that you go hey well, they should be in charge because you know They've got the suits on, haven't they? And they and they've been to the right schools, and they're the clever lot. You go, well, yeah, but what about meritocracy? What there are other clever people who actually actually? Do you know what? Should we just put women in charge for a day? And I reckon this whole thing would just go away. At the end, when you meet Lady Anne, mm. and Lady Anne is apparently completely complimented, it's completely knows what she wants, yeah. totally emotionally engaged, yeah. sexually confident, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. You and, and there's this strange thing where you, he's like a little baby. Yeah. Oh, totally. Her, this tiny baby man. This is the heroic and wonderful actor yeah. Alec Guinness, who's been the hero of this story. Yeah. Goes back and meets his wife, and his wife is completely functional. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know the 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 last line of the whole thing, which you know, just saying, you know, you, you're confused by a lot of things, aren't you, George? You know, you don't really know how any of this works. Poor George. Life's such a puzzle to you, isn't it? And she's talking about life, and you go, "Yeah, that's it." He's no, he's that's utterly amazing. dysfunctional. And to say yeah. you're confused by a lot of this, which is a mm. lovely thing to say to the audience. To say you've been watching a baffling mm. thriller, mm. which has been, and his job is he's the one guy who can see all the answers. Yeah. He can understand and yet, anything, and yet, and yet, it, life, his life is just like an absolute shambles. Beautiful. I mean, yeah, what yeah. a what a brilliant finale. Yeah, that's such a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, thank you for bringing Tinker Tailor Soldiers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs>